Good afternoon. It is a joy and a blessing to be here. I want to start off by saying just how much we appreciate uh, the brethren here, your your prayers for us um, and your support uh, for Aaron and I as, as we've gone through this process. We are very thankful to be able to spend uh, some time with our, our physical families uh, over the last few weeks. Um, some expected, some unexpected. But we are extremely thankful for the spiritual family that we have here uh, and the support, the encouragement that you all offer to us um, and your prayers on our behalf. Um, as we start a new year together, uh, the, the new year is always an exciting time for me. It's, it's a time for fresh starts, for setting new goals. It's a time for reflecting on the past year and anticipating what the new year holds And while many people are making resolutions about their health or their finances or their work-family balance, I want us to to encourage us today to consider making some spiritual resolutions, setting some spiritual goals for 2021. Spiritual growth doesn't happen by accident. It takes purpose and intention and motivation and accountability. And one way that the the spiritual family here at Eastside uh, is going to try to help one another grow this coming year is by doing a congregational Bible reading plan. You may have seen uh, on the table back there uh, sheets of paper front and back that give us this Bible reading plan. It's also on our website, um, both on the main page as well as on the Bible class page. I sent it out in the email um, for, for those online this week as well. And I want to encourage everybody here to, to consider Uh, printing that out, putting it on their their refrigerator, putting it in the cover of their Bible, putting it, you know, on a bulletin board at your office or at home, and and using it throughout the year. It's set up as a a five-day-a-week reading plan uh, designed uh, to help us read through the Bible uh, contextually, uh, trying to to keep as much together in, uh, in one reading as we can, not jumping around too much from day to day. It's designed to help us read chronologically for the most part, um, but also consistently, most importantly of all. And the readings themselves, uh, for an average reader, should take about 10 to 15 minutes. So that's 10 to 15 minutes, five days out of the week that you're committing to. Uh, Now, hopefully, if you want to spend a little bit more time uh, with some prayer and devotion in that, maybe you need to set aside for yourself 20 to 30 minutes at least. But this is a very doable thing. Um, And especially if you haven't read through the entire Bible intentionally before, I want to encourage you to do that along with us this year. Carl and I are going to try to to frequently preach from the text that will be in the readings. Uh, We may not do that every week, but we're going to try to do that somewhat consistently to help keep that at the forefront of our minds. The readings are set up uh, most weeks to be four days of Old Testament, one day of New Testament. Sometimes you'll have three and two. But I want to encourage everyone uh, maybe to even include these readings in, in men in your exhortations or, or in personal conversations with one another that we can make that a part of our lives together in 2021 and help one another in that. And so today, as we get geared up for that Bible reading plan, I want to talk about uh, seven tips for effective Bible reading. Some of you may have been reading the Bible for years. Maybe this is far from the first time that you've read the Bible cover to cover. Maybe this is the first time you've ever uh, sought to do that um, or or set up any kind of consistent Bible reading 
plan. Wherever you're coming from, I hope that we can find some biblical principles that will help us make this year's Bible reading as fruitful and effective in our lives as it can be. First of all, we need to be consistent. In fact, that's the entire reason we've set up a Bible reading plan, is to try to help us be consistent in our time spent listening to the Lord within his word. When our our goals are not clear and are not measurable, it's very easy to, to convince ourselves that we're really doing more than we really are. And it's easy to let other things in our lives crowd out the time that we're spending with the Lord in communication with him. But just like diet and exercise, we desperately need consistency uh, in our spiritual lives. In Psalm 1 and verse 2, uh, in Psalm 1 we talk about a man who is a tree planted by by the water spiritually. This picture of spiritual prosperity, of growth, fruitfulness in our service to the Lord. And in Psalm 1 and verse 2 it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Here this is a picture of somebody who is very consistent in feeding upon God's word. You think about the illustration of a plant, a tree planted by the waters. Imagine if you had a house plant and instead of watering it consistently day by day, you decided, well, I'll just wait until the weekend and then I'll water it seven times more than I would normally. You know, would that be a a very effective plan? Not with most plants. Uh, You know, you'd kill that plant very quickly. Well, it's getting the same amount of water. Well, without the consistency, it's not going to grow the way that it needs to. We need to consistently feed and nourish ourselves upon God's word. If you want to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6 that Luke read for us earlier, we see that concept here as God instructs the children of Israel in spending time in his word and in his law. In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6, we read, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Here we see first thing in the morning and last thing at night. They were to be talking about God's word while they were at work, while they relaxed, while they were at home, while they were away. God wanted them to be spending time constantly reading and talking about and discussing and meditating upon his word. Our time spent in God's word as families needs to be more consistent than our time spent in front of the television, than our time spent surfing the internet, needs to be as consistent as the time that we spend sleeping and eating. That's the type of picture that we have here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Does that describe me? Does that describe my family? You know, maybe what we need is is a sign. (laughs) Maybe we need a reminder on the gates, the doorposts of our house. You know, maybe you can take this reading plan and tape it right at the top of your TV. And before you turn the TV on, you you have to make sure that you've read it before you can flip it out of the way or something like that. You know, maybe you need to to put it on your refrigerator every time you go to eat something, you're reminded of spending time reading God's word. 
That's the kind of picture that we have here of consistent reminder, consistent effort put in to spending time getting to know God's character and God's will through his word. And Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14, as he uses the illustration of being nourished by God's word and the milk and the meat of the word. In Hebrews 5 verse 14, it says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil. How do we get to that place of maturity spiritually where we can digest more difficult aspects of God's word and application? It says by constant practice. We need to to exercise the spiritual muscles in our brain to to get used to uh, taking God's word and applying it to our lives to make that such a practice that it, it becomes easier and easier. You know, the first time that we sit down and try to read God's word, that we try to do that consistently, it's going to take some discipline. It's not just going to be an easy thing, but as we make it a consistent practice, that'll become part of us. That'll become something that will be easier and easier for us to do and something that we can do more and more effective. And so I want to encourage you as we undertake this Bible reading plan to be consistent because we need that in our spiritual growth. But along with that, we need to be inquisitive. As you seek to read the Bible from day to day, don't treat your Bible reading as a checklist item that I got that done, I can check it off. Uh, Now, maybe checklists are helpful to keep us accountable, but we need to make sure that we're treating it as a genuine learning and growing opportunity. That we're not just reading the words on the page uh, and letting them go in one ear and out the other, but that we're meditating upon them, chewing on them, digesting them. And I think one of the simplest ways to do that is to ask questions. Every time that we sit down to read, every time that we're together, that as we read through the text, we're constantly asking questions. What does this mean? Who wrote it? When did they write it? Why did they write it? Why include this detail and skip over that detail? How does this apply to me? What lessons can I learn? Is this a good example for me or is this a bad example that I shouldn't follow? What does this teach me about God and his character? We need to constantly be asking those questions as we read through not just kind of mindlessly going through, but, but involving ourselves in the text by asking those types of questions. And I think Jesus is a perfect example of one who is constantly asking questions. Now, granted, Jesus was often asking those questions for our benefit, not just for his. But notice even early on in Jesus's life, in Luke chapter 2, verse 46, as Jesus and his parents have gone down to Jerusalem for the feast, And they they leave not realizing that he is in the temple. When they come and they find him, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 46, it says, After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. I think it's interesting here that Jesus is, is here involved in talking about God's word. And one of the primary things it says that he was doing was asking questions. Now maybe... He was asking questions and teaching them. But I think as well, in that same chapter, in Luke chapter 2, it's interesting to see that if God, uh, who is eternal, can be born, and if God, who is all-powerful in the flesh, can grow in strength and in stature, then God, who is all-knowing, 
in the form of Jesus Christ can also learn. Uh, In fact, later on in Luke chapter 2 and in verse 52, it says that he grew in wisdom. How does the all-knowing God grow in wisdom? Well, he became flesh. And as a human being, Jesus had a a physical brain. Um, And in that form, he had to learn and he had to grow. And I think we see Jesus doing that by involving himself in learning God's law. In fact, Hebrews chapter 5 says he learned obedience. And so Jesus is one here who is coming to know God's law more and more by engaging and talking about it and asking questions about it. And we see this throughout his ministry. Throughout the Gospels, if you read through the Gospels, uh, somebody has gone through and found 135 questions that come from Jesus' lips in the gospel. Now, often that's for our benefit, for, for him teaching us, but he's, he's training us to think that way, to ask questions. One interesting one in Matthew 22, in verse 41, as he's talking to the Pharisees there, he asks them, whose son is the Messiah? And he draws their attention to Psalm, 1 in, uh, Psalm 110. And in reference to this passage, when he says, the Lord said to my Lord, uh, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. He asked them, if then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Here, there's something deeper to be learned about the Messiah by asking a question in this passage. Why does he call him Lord? Why does, uh, what does that indicate about his relationship to the Messiah? Jesus is showing us here, as we approach scripture, we need to be asking these kinds of questions. To delve deeper. Not just to read over it, but to stop and think about it. Why does, why does he use this word? Why does he say it that way? I think we see the good and honest seeking heart is going to make a practice of asking questions, of digging deeper within the text. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. As he's reading through Isaiah 53 and Philip overtakes him and he has this opportunity to talk to Philip about the text, what does he say? He says, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? That's a good question. In fact, that's a question you needn't to be asking that pointed him towards Jesus. And so as we approach Bible reading, make sure that you don't just read through and then forget about what you read, that that you spend time asking some questions about the text. What does this mean? What's going on here? What can I learn from this? We often will not be able to answer our questions right away. We can meditate and pray about them. We can keep reading. And sometimes as we continue to read, those, the answer to those questions will become evident. We can discuss it with brethren, just like the uh, Ethiopian eunuch sought uh, the, the counsel of a Philip in that passage. So we can seek out answers uh, from brethren that we respect as mature and knowledgeable in God's word. I think it's interesting, uh, Jared, in fact, shortly after he was baptized, uh, he got a Bible with a wide margin in it, and I encouraged him to start writing questions that he had in the margin. Um, And he told me one day after he had studying for quite a while, you know, he, he could flip back through and look at some of those questions and just kind of laugh at himself that, oh, I know the I know the answer to that now. I know the answer to that now. Um, and I think that that's helpful, that we, we take time to ask questions. We may not know the answer right away. But as we continue to learn, as we continue to read, as we continue to grow, 
um, God will continue to, to help us see more and more of those questions that we have. Um, and so be inquisitive. Ask questions as you approach the text. And closely related to that, be engaged. I want you to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy again in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy 17, here God um, gives instructions to Israel in regard to their future king. He looks forward that there will come a day that they will have a king, and when they have a king, this is what he is to do. Deuteronomy 17, starting verse 18, it says, When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. And it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. And so here, God instructed that the king was to copy the law and make a copy for himself. Now, why was it that the king couldn't just hire one of his scribes to do this, right? That's their job. And yet God specifically wanted the king to write his own copy of the law so that he would have to interact with every single word. I think there's some power to that in helping us make that personal. And as he later on would look at that law and see it in his own handwriting, he had no excuse. He had written every single word. He knew exactly what it said. I think as we approach Bible reading, we need to think about ways to engage ourselves more in the text to make sure that we are interacting with every single word. And there may be a variety of ways that we can do that. Maybe it is writing it out. Maybe instead of just reading, you want to copy God's word. That may take you a little bit longer than a year. That would be quite a, quite a task to undertake. But it may be very good in helping you internalize that message. Maybe reading it out loud. Often I find that when I read silently to myself, it's easier for me to kind of read through the words and not really think about what they mean. If I speak it out loud, sometimes that will be more effective in bringing those words home. Or maybe reading multiple translations, maybe listening to an audio of God's word and then coming along and reading it. Maybe reading over it multiple times. Maybe writing out questions or notes in the margin of your Bible. Maybe underlining. Uh, key passages or memorizing key verses, maybe writing summaries of each chapter or section of a book, maybe getting someone else involved, reading as a family, discussing it, maybe reading with a, another brother or sister in Christ, or as, as we're seeking to encourage each other to do here, discussing it with your brethren afterwards. We're all hopefully going to be reading the same passages. That, that can, you know, you, you don't know somebody very well, you don't know something uh, that you might have in common to talk about, we'll talk about this. <laughs> There's nothing more, more profitable that we could be talking about. And if we are doing this together, then it would be helpful in us sharing that. Maybe coming up with a handful of questions that you want to answer at the end of each reading. What does this teach me about God and his character? What positive or negative examples can I learn from in this reading? How does this passage point forward to Jesus? What are some practical things that I can do to put what I learned into action? Find some ways to interact with the text. To not just read through it mindlessly and then close your Bible and put it away. Like God instructed the kings to interact with every word of the law.
make sure that you are engaged and in one way or another find a way to, to interact uh, more thoroughly with God's word. Along with that, we need to be prayerful in reading God's word. We need God's help to properly understand and apply the things we read. Look with me in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is full of, of passages that, that praise God for his word, but it also is filled with petitions that God would help us in the reading of his word. Look in Psalm 119, verse 17 and 18. The psalmist says, Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. If you go down in verse 27, it says, Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. Look in verse 33. It says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. You know, maybe we need to adopt some of those prayers um, before we sit down to read. God, open my eyes. Give me understanding. Teach me. Guide me. Work in my heart. Mold me by the things that I'm reading. Help me to be honest about them. Help me to live them. When it comes to our relationship with God, listening is certainly more foundational than speaking. God has some very important things to say to us. However, if we want to cultivate a deeper relationship with him, there's no doubt that we need both types of communication. God wants us to be pouring out our hearts before him. And so as we approach Bible reading, try to approach it as a time of conversation with the Lord. Pray beforehand. Pray during. Pray after. Talk to God about the things that you're reading the things that you're confused about, the things that you are learning, the things that you're struggling with or need his help to apply. Let God's word be living and active in your life. Don't treat it just as words on a page, but hear the loving and, and teaching voice of the creator behind every word that you read and engage with it by responding to him in prayer about these things. And so we need God's help and we need to cultivate that kind of dynamic communication with the Lord. That, uh, you know, it's not just he's speaking to us over here and we're speaking to him over there, but that we are trying to engage more fully in communication, uh, mutual communication with the Lord. As well as we approach God's word, we need to be introspective. We need to look within at our hearts, at our lives, allow the sword of God's word to peace pierce deeply into our heart, discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart, as Hebrews 4 says. This is how God's word is intended to work within us. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And read with me in verse 22 through 25. We'll come back to this passage again later. 
But starting in verse 22, it says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Your God pictures looking into his word as looking intently into our own hearts and lives. God's word is not pictured as a telescope that allows us to explore the, the high philosophical questions of the, the corners of the universe. It's not pictured as, as a microscope or magnifying glass that allows us to look intently at the lives of other people around us. It's pictured as a mirror that's intended to get us to look honestly at ourselves. The questions that I need to be asking aren't just how does this apply to society or how does this apply to my neighbor or, or even how can I use this verse to teach somebody else. First and foremost, most foundationally, I need to be asking, what does this teach me? How does this apply to me? What changes do I need to make based on what I'm reading here? Only after we've asked those questions can we hope to be any help to anybody else. Bible reading time should not just be a time of academic inquiry. It should be a time of self-reflection and soul-searching. And prayer will certainly be helpful to us as we seek to look within. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, Paul instructs the brethren there, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? The evangelist that I worked with for five years in St. Louis, uh, an older man named L.A. Stouffer, used to often come to this passage in 2 Corinthians 13 and say, this is the most difficult passage in the entire Bible to follow. To honestly and deeply examine yourself. To see yourself the way that God sees you. And yet that, to a great extent, is what we are intended to do as we look into the mirror of God's word. It's supposed to be an aid in honestly examining ourselves and seeing ourselves in the light of God's character and who he desires for us to be. But ultimately, God's word is not a book about you. It's a book about God. It first and foremost is intended to point us to our creator. He is the main character on every chapter, on every page, and we can't lose sight of that. And so before we can see ourselves in the pages of scripture, we must first see God in the pages of scripture. It is the light of his character, of his thoughts and his will that will bring to light the imperfections in our own life. If you're in 2 Corinthians, turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3, we'll read verse 18 here in a moment. Here, the Apostle Paul is making a contrast between what, what he calls the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, talking about the old law, the law of Moses, 
and the ministry of the Spirit, or the, the New Covenant, the Gospel. And he uses the illustration of how Moses covered his face when coming down from Mount Sinai. Standing in the presence of the glory of God, Moses' face began to, to shine with that glory, to reflect that glory. And as not to, to show that to the children of Israel, or at least not show it fading to the children of Israel, he would put a, a veil over his face until that glory were to, to fade away. And so Paul uses that as an illustration here, saying that the, under the old law, there was a veil. A veil to the glory of God. In fact, you even see that idea in the tabernacle, in the temple, where there was a veil separating them from the, the, the dwelling place of the glory of God as it rested there above the cherubim of the Ark of the Covenant. But here, he shows us that, that in this gospel, we're not like the Israelites, we're like Moses. Look in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. He says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we're not like the Israelites, who have a barrier set up between them and seeing the reflection of God's glory. We're like Moses, who gets to stand in the presence of the glory of God and be changed by it, be transformed by it, begin to reflect that glory even in his own appearance. That's a picture of what God intends for us under the new covenant. And if you continue to read down in chapter 4, starting in verse 3, it says, And it, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What are we intended to see as we look into the gospel? The light of the glory of Christ, the image of God. The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Yes, we do look into a mirror, but first we see God. We see his image, his character, his will. And it's in response to that that we then see ourselves as we truly are. We see what we're intended to be. And it causes us to see the areas that we're falling short. The areas that we need to change. The Bible is the autobiography of God. He is the main character on every page. He's the hero of the story. As you, this week, Lord willing, begin reading in Genesis, keep this in mind. God is the hero of the story. Noah isn't the hero of the story. Abraham is not the hero of the story. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Judah, they're not the heroes. They're broken people. In many cases, with broken families. And yet God uses these broken people to show his glory. To show his mercy. And his blessing to people who were undeserving in so many ways. And so, as we read God's word, let us look for him. The Bible should not be treated simply as a self-help book. The Bible isn't about you. The Bible 
is about God. It is a self-revelation of our creator to us. It reveals his thoughts, his character, and his will. And that's what we need to be looking for as we read. And the more that we see Jesus, the more that we see God, the more it will change us. But if we want to be changed, we first have to see him. That is the image that we are being transformed into. In John chapter 5, as Jesus is talking to the Pharisees there, John 5, 39 through 40, he tells them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness of me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What was the problem? He says they're searching the scriptures because you think you have life in them. Well, certainly there is life in the scriptures, right? But there was life in the fact that the scriptures pointed them towards Jesus. And if they missed that, then they missed the life. These words on the page within themselves don't bring us life. They bring us life by pointing us to the life giver, by showing us his thoughts, his words, his character. And so if we read God's word without seeing him within it, without seeing Jesus within it, then we, like the Pharisees, can just be wasting our time. We need to make sure that we are seeking to know God. The scriptures do offer us eternal life, but by pointing us to him. Look at one last passage uh, in this section here in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Notice what Peter says as he begins this epistle in verse 3 and 4. 2 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Yes, God's word gives us everything that we need, all that pertains to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him. Through pointing us towards God and his character. And the purpose behind that is that we may take part in his character, that we may become partakers in the divine nature. And so as you approach God's word, look for him on every chapter, every page, every word, what does this teach me about God? Because his image and his glory and his character is who I need to be. And that's how the mirror of God's word is truly going to work. It's going to show me the glory of the face of Jesus. And I, more and more each day, I'm going to seek to be transformed into that perfect image. The Bible is not a book about you. It is a book about God that is intended to transform you. And if we want it to transform us, lastly, we need to be active. We need to be purposeful in our reading of God's word. If God's word is intended to transform us, then no period of Bible reading or study is complete until we've lived 
what we've read, until we've made application. We can't just check off our Bible reading for the day and then forget all about it. We have to carry it with us. We have to allow it to do its work in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions from day to day. Remember James 1, that picture of a man looking intently into the mirror. Well, he looks into the mirror with purpose, right? And as he sees things that need to be changed, he doesn't say, well, that I'm glad I know now. I'm just going to go back to my life how it was, right? No, he sees things that need to be changed. He sees something hanging out of his nose, you know, something on, on, on the side of his mouth. He sees his hair is messed up and he's going to fix it. He's going to do something about it. We need to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. We can be consistent hearers. We can be inquisitive hearers, engaged hearers, prayerful hearers, introspective hearers, God-focused hearers. But if we aren't active hearers, if we aren't doers, then our time has ultimately been wasted. If when we close the pages of our Bible, it stops doing its work within us, then we miss the point entirely. We need to read with purpose and live out that purpose as we continue throughout our day. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul tells Timothy, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Brother, we can't take our eyes off the goal. Why is it that we're here with open Bibles? Why is it that we want to encourage people to read their Bibles from day to day? The goal is not so that we can just be really good at Bible trivia. It's not so that we can impress people with how much that we know. It's not so we can make you know, more informed comments in Bible class. It's so that we can have love from a pure heart and a good conscience in a sincere faith, so that we can reflect the divine nature, so that we can reflect the character of God in our lives from day to day. The goal is for God's character to take root in our hearts and show forth in our lives. And so don't forget what this is all about, why you should want to do this, why you should want to be consistent in Bible reading. It's so that it will change you, so that you can see the glory of God and that that glory might be reflected in your face, in your character, and in your life. What about you today? Have you been spending time in God's word the way that you need to? If not, now is a good time to start. We want to encourage you to do that. We want to encourage you to take that 10, 15 minutes, five days a week, or more. Be accountable, be consistent in spending time nourishing yourself with God's word. It's often my prayer that God would help us as a congregation to be rooted and grounded in his word and in his character. And if every single one of us could commit to reading those 10 to 15 minutes a day, this year, to reading through the entire Bible in 2021. I think it would go a long way to help us be the kind of spiritual family that God intends for us to be, to be the kind of workers in his kingdom that he desires for us to be. If God's word has in some way convicted you today, 
If you, looking into the mirror of God's word, realize that there's something that needs to change, won't you make that change now? And if there's any way that we can help you in making that change, let us know. Let us know personally if you need to, to come forward and confess some sin that we can be praying about together, some struggle that you're facing. We want to offer you that opportunity. And if you have never committed your life to the Lord, if you've never obeyed the gospel, if you don't know what that means, then won't you come and study with us and see what it is that God instructs us to do in response to the sacrifice of his son, that we might be saved, that we might have our sins washed away. If you're willing to confess your belief in Jesus as the Christ, the son of God, as God has instructed us, you can bury the old man of sin in the waters of baptism. And by his grace, by the power of the resurrection, you can start walking in newness of life. If there's any way that we can help you in your service to the Lord today, we ask that you'll make it known by coming to the aisle as we, we stand and sing together.